Live to see it, friends, and welcome to the world transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At the World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. How are you, my friend? Happy Wednesday. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm doing great as well. Looking forward to a, a great show tonight. Well, what do we do on Wednesday? What do we do on Wednesday? Well, amazing. We always we do, do amazing it. shows amazing on Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. It's amazing <laughs> Wednesday on the World Transformed, and we are living up to that this evening because we're bringing one of our favorite guests back. We've got Thomas Frey with us, and let me tell you a little bit about him if you haven't uh, listened to a show with, uh, with him before. Over the past decade, Thomas Frey has built an enormous following around the world based on his ability to develop accurate visions of the future and describe the opportunities ahead. His keynote talks on futurist topics have captivated people ranging from high-level government officials to executives in Fortune 500 companies, including NASA, IBM, AT&T, Hewlett-Packard, Lucent Technologies, First Data, Boeing, Capital One, Bell Canada, Visa, Ford Motor Company, Quest, Allied Signal, Hunter Douglas, DirecTV, uh, the International Council of Shopping Centers, the National Association of Federal Credit Unions, the Times of India, and many more. Because of his work inspiring inventors and other revolutionary thinkers, the Boulder Daily Camera has referred to him as the father of invention. And both the Denver Post and Seattle Post Intelligencer have dubbed him the Dean of Futurists. Tom has been featured in thousands of articles for both national and international publications, including the New York Times, the Huffington Post, the Times of India, USA Today, U.S. News and World Report, Popular Science, The Futurist Magazine, Forbes, Fast Company, World Economic Forum, Times of Israel, Mashable, Bangkok Post, National Geographic, Colorado Biz Magazine, the Rocky Mountain News, and many others. He currently writes a weekly future trend report newsletter and a weekly column for futurespeaker.com. He's also got a new book out called Epiphany Z, which we're going to be talking with him about this evening. Tom, welcome back to The World Transformed. Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, we promised, gosh, when was it? Back in uh, October that we were going we to bring you back on and talk about talk about this book. At the time, the book wasn't out, but, but now it is out. Is that right? That's correct. It came out in January. came out in um, January, so we're a little late to the game. But hot, off, hot off the presses. And it's, um, um, yeah, it's actually from the future, so it's really really worth getting so it's it's a valuable book <laughs> yeah it's from the the book is from the future so let's you know folks don't wait yeah you're already late okay getting this book so order now and and uh, our guarantee to you is amazon will ship a book to you that is still warm from the presses that's my <laughs> my personal guarantee anyone who doesn't get that book i will double what you paid to listen to this podcast right back to you so there, there, that's right. there are no losers here at the world transform so um, what a great title, Epiphany Z. Why don't we just, let's start with that. Give us the quick, what does it mean? What is Epiphany Z? And tell us what the significance is of the number 32 and, and the letter Z, I suppose. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the people listening to this have a similar experience to me. I, I end up uh, waking up in the middle of the night with a great idea. Right. And, uh, and, and these ideas, these epiphanies, come out of the woodwork. 
And uh, if you if you have a really good epiphany, it's something that just sticks in your head. You can't sleep anymore. Suddenly you're rolling around. You're wrestling with this idea. You're looking at it from all angles. And, uh, and it, that creates uh, a problem. Um, it, most people think of this as the coolest thing ever, but it creates a real problem because now you have to do something with it. Um, right. You, you've been given the honor of having this idea. So what do you do with it, this grand epiphany? Um, so I, I, I often refer to this as being tortured by my ideas because I have, I have a lot of these epiphanies. And, um, and some of them are, are better than others. You know? So that's the grand epiphany, the one, the category five epiphany that really sticks out. Um, so when, when you think about what, what did we do with uh, epiphanies in the past, um, and an epiphany is just really this massive revelation we have in our mind, some new insight into the world around us. Um, and in the past, you know, we had very few options. You know, somebody could uh, tell it to a friend. They could write it down. If they were lucky enough, they could tell it to a reporter and get some news coverage on it. But basically, most uh, ideas like this died. They died a slow death inside of somebody's head. Somewhere. Yeah, people would um, write a letter to the editor back in those days, right, when they had an opinion. Yeah, <laughs> and um, my contention is is that virtually all of the major problems in the world have already been solved by people who've had these grand epiphanies and had absolutely no idea what to do with them. Mm. And uh, and so we're, um, but you know, epiphanies have great value. Um, these epiphanies are every new business that gets launched gets launched because of an epiphany. Every new product that gets launched starts with this grand idea, this epiphany. Um, so it's in our best interest to have more of them, but as a society, we end up getting tortured by them. So it's, it's kind of this real interesting paradox that we're working with. Now, these epiphanies, though, lead to other opportunities. And so I, I talk in, in the book a lot about how um, uh, these enable us to expand our horizons to um, eventually they'll end up giving us the uh, solutions to all of our past problems and, and how, to, how to eventually um, uh, expand civilization, uh, take us to a whole new level. Um, and so being a futurist, uh, as I go around giving talks to the world, uh, is as much being a philosopher as it is uh, giving people insights into the, the world ahead. And so that's, that's some of the kind of the opening for Epiphany Z. That's, you know, when, when you think about the value of ideas, um, there's, this, there's this real tendency to devalue ideas. You know, they're a dime a dozen, right? Everybody's got a great right. idea, so, so what? Yeah. Um, but, the, but the truth is, not only are they valuable, um, if you can get them into, you know, into action. But I think they're more valuable today than they used to be. I think valuables are actually, uh, excuse me, ideas are actually increasing in value because of, this is skipping away to the end, part two on Friday, but because of uh, what you outline as the three laws of exponential capabilities. Um, you, you talk about the, de the decrease in effort and the increase in capabilities that we have as humans today. We're actually closer 
to realizing ideas now than we've ever been before. So they're, yeah, and it's, we, it's like we they come so out of our more. heads worth more than they used to, right? Right. We have, um, I mean, the, inter the Internet is creating more awareness. I mean, we're much more aware of everything going on in the world. So um, we, we have better insights into how things can get integrated, um, the, the right places we can take them, who we can talk to. And, and we have many more options today for what to do with a, a, a grand epiphany, a great idea. I mean, we can, we can put them on Twitter. We can put them on Facebook. We can uh, write a blog post about it. We have literally thousands of online options of what we can do with a grand idea like this. And uh, so that opens the door for so many new opportunities. Yeah, and it seems that we have more sources for getting them too. Right, more we, we, we so many channels of information feeding into us, uh, get, you know, kind of feeding our own epiphany machines, um, uh, then right. allowing us to to throw them back out into the uh, into the cycle, as it were, and and see right. if we can't right. get some traction. Uh, yeah, uh, Thomas, uh, I uh, I uh, enjoyed the uh, the uh, the antidote that you gave early in the book about uh, how how your wife came up with a. Uh, with a with a, a humorous phrase, a photogeriatric memory, right? And yeah. <laughs> and then and of course you Googled it, and uh, and and then others saw that others had actually had, had said that phrase before, and so it's sort of it, to me that that uh, uh, lends closely to the idea that uh, you know there's uh, there's an adjacent adjacent possible. There is a um, your your. Uh, you know, if if an idea dies in our brain, then then it'll be picked up pretty quickly, uh, perhaps by somebody else. Uh, I, does does that mean the 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 person who has it's less important than the fact that it get it's birthed and 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 uh, and and uh, you know treated well by somebody somewhere? I mean, uh, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, well, we still haven't got great systems for how do we manage our ideas. Um, you know, yeah. you know, I give talks. I give talks to libraries a lot because you know, libraries were all built up around the idea of archiving books, and books were kind of a convenient uh, storehouse of information to pass from one generation to the next. But there are so many ideas that never make it into book form. Um, in fact, the vast majority, uh, 99.9 percentile of all ideas, never make it into book form. And, uh, and so they end up, in the past, just getting kind of lost in the ether. Um, so I, I speculated that sometime in the future we're going to have uh, some online system where we can, we can post our ideas. And, and then the best ideas somehow will get moved to the top. We'll have some sort of a rating system that the best ideas gravitate to the top. And uh, then we'll we'll be able to to kind of manage the best of the best, and and then they create platforms, and so other ideas can stick to those initial ideas, and and uh, they can kind of grow in organic fashion. Then, but we haven't we haven't quite um, solved that problem yet. Um, in fact, we don't even if if you try to. Uh, construct what the anatomy of an idea is. What is the minimum viable pieces of a of an idea? Uh, what's the minimum viable product, uh, so to speak? And 
we haven't even concocted that yet. So I I think sometime in the future somebody's going to solve that that problem, and we'll 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 figure out a way of archiving ideas, and then the best ones will will naturally gravitate to the top, and then um, maybe that's uh, uh, an idealistic world that I've just created in my head. And when I talk about a lot of these ideas, I I end up sweeping all of the details under the rug because you know I don't know about all the details. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I, I wonder if the idea is you know crosses uh, you know it, you know comes into being uh, you know nine hundred ninety nine times before it, it's actually uh, uh, it, it actually is you know is uh, tended to or, or is allowed to grow. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I mean, it's it, prob probably like a marketing message you have to see 16 times before you're inclined to take any action. Uh, exactly. There's some, there's, some, there's some number corresponding to that, I'm sure. I'm not sure how you measure that, that though. <laughs> all, these, all these great eureka moments occurred multiple times before the famous ones that we know about, right? Somebody, somebody else yeah. had yeah, the aha yeah, moment absolutely. about gravity before Newton saw the apple and so forth. Yeah, entirely possible. Yeah. Although you would think with more yeah. prominent people, they can have an epiphany and it maybe it gets more traction, right? That's the the, the glory of being a, a famous person, I guess. Yeah, um, I was going to mention that um, um, we've put together an event that we're doing at the Da Vinci Institute on April 10th through the 14th, where uh, it's called "Inside the Mind of a Futurist," and we're we're, we're helping people think about the future. I mean, this is a course that is intended to spur people's ideas, to, uh, to give them systems and uh, methodologies for thinking about the future, because um, we end up getting blindsided by too many things coming out of left field right now. Uh, the technology is, is going to uh, just kind of change the ground that we're standing on, and, uh, and that's, that's going to make us all very uneasy over the coming months here. So this course that we're, we put together, um, Michael Cushman and I, we're, we're teaching all these different methodologies for, for thinking about the future. But uh, yeah, we, uh, as, as an example, um, just when you, when you start diving in and, and thinking about all of the, the serious implications that the driverless technology is going to have and the massive amounts of change that come with that, there's there's so many pieces of it that just people just don't understand, um, and it just changes our economies. So cities cities themselves are going to lose over half of their revenue streams right now, um, and that's over the next oh decade, two decades, maybe more. But it, it, over that period of time, um, I, I think of driverless technology as the most disruptive technology in all history. Um, more disruptive than the invention of the wheel, the invention of electricity, and the invention of fire, because it affects more people in a shorter period of time than anything else. Uh, yeah, if, it's going to it's going to disrupt the human labor pool the way the uh, uh, the automobile disrupted the horse labor pool, right? I mean, it's almost that. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it will, um, but um, even more so. Uh, right. I mean, it's not just employment. Think, yeah. Yeah, just, um, I mean, parking lots eventually go away. I mean, 14% of Los Angeles is parking lots. Uh, that's, that's a lot of valuable real estate that comes up into play. Um, 
just airports today, the, tradi the average airport in the U.S., 41% um, of its revenue, revenue for the airports come from parking and transportation services. All of that goes away over wow. time. Uh, so you think of like a big airport like uh, Denver International Airport, I mean, what what the heck hell happens to all of those giant parking lots out there? <laughs> um, <laughs> data that, centers, be a, right? They'll turn them into yeah. data centers. From. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought maybe urban agriculture, but uh, maybe oh, that data too, centers. Yeah, yeah uh, those uh, vertical farms, right? Coffee yeah. shops, <laughs> right, right. So, so one of one of the interesting. Uh, uh, I've been doing some math on all this, and one of the interesting numbers I came up with was that if uh, if we step out in front of our house and we summon a vehicle that comes and picks us up, takes us to where we want to go, and picks somebody else up and takes them to where they want to go, these driverless cars, there's some fleet owner in the background that owns these fleets of cars. Um, now, a car that's working 24 hours a day, picking people up and dropping them off, um, could very likely... Uh, put on a thousand miles in a single day right um, every and day. after ten, yeah then after 10 months that car has 300,000 miles on it and that's ready for the trash heap then uh, so we scrap that car and get another one um, that's uh, that just surprised me in uh, a huge way because we're, we'll, we'll end up going through this kind of rapid iteration of changes in these vehicles because we, uh, you know, suddenly the consumers don't care so much about what the outside of the vehicle looks like. They care more about the inside of the vehicle and what you can do on the inside. So those changing attitudes, um, it, it transitions us very quickly from this just-in-case mindset. I have a car in my garage just in case I need to go somewhere to just-in-time mindset. I can summon a vehicle at any time I need it. And that right there... Um, it changes our cost of transportation. Cost of transportation. And I guess you could you could also summon exactly the vehicle you need too. You you uh, wouldn't well, you wouldn't you wouldn't summon a huge vehicle if it's just you that needs transportation, perhaps. Yeah, part of part of my thinking is that uh, like eighty six percent of um, all the cars on the road just have one passenger in them. So these, these fleet owners are very likely they'll have huge influence on how cars are designed. So we'll probably be designing a lot of one-passenger vehicles. Hmm. Um, because why do you need a bigger vehicle if there's just one person going somewhere? Um, but these are like the ultimate vehicle that you can kick back and sleep if you want, or you can watch uh, movies or play video games um, um, or uh, do other things. But it's... Um, it's it's kind of I mean what can I do on the inside of the car that becomes far more important than how does this car handle and um, you know what uh, does it make a lot of noise when I start it up and <laughs> sure and all the all the status stuff we have around car I mean you know some of that I guess will still stick around in terms of what kind you summon maybe uh, you see that in different classes of service with Uber but so much of our, just our, kind of our built-in social structures around cars, which it turns out yeah. a lot of our lives are built around them. It just is gone yeah, or it just absolutely. changes utterly, right? Absolutely. The, uh, over 10% of all retail is tied with, with cars. All the car washes, the auto parts stores, the yep. oil change places, even the dealerships, they eventually go away. 
um, gas stations eventually go away. Um, all of these things, I mean, that radically changes the landscape of the city. And then um, cities, uh, there's a lot of cities right now just on traffic violations are bringing in 30% of their income off of writing tickets, which I think is preposterous. But um, in 2015, New York City uh, brought in $1.9 billion from traffic violations. Wow. Um, which I think is just, uh, I think it's criminal, that part alone. <laughs> but all, so, of that, all, of, all of that suddenly goes away. Yeah. So, so not, not only do driverless cars uh, save lives, they, uh, they raise taxes. Right, inadvertently, because the, the, the well, governments the are going to have to look for other yeah, ways to get that. taxes have to go up. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll, have to, we'll, we'll end up figuring out some other taxes. I mean, yeah, they're going to get that uh, money somehow, right? I mean, that's my thinking. So the, uh, right, um, right. But uh, yeah, most cities are not prepared for the changes uh, that are coming. They're, they're so in, in your class, this is, this, is really, this is great. I mean, this is a great example, and we've kind of talked through, talked through it quite a bit. When you look at these things the way a futurist does, um, yeah. You not only have the advantage of not being floored, right, by the change because you've thought you've thought about it ahead of time, but you've also thought about the implications, and you've recognized risks and opportunities. You you know you're you're starting to have ideas about how this whole driverless economy is you know is is going to raise issues that that you have to be aware of and you have to look out for, and also how it's. You know, potentially, hey, there's a there's a chance to make some money there. Or there's a chance to make my life easier. Um, th that's that's kind of the difference, right, between being a futurist and being sort of a I don't know a victim of the future, right, or just a yeah. you know somebody yeah. who waits for it to happen by it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, um, and so as as you kind of mentally wrap your head around these things, I mean, there's there's lots of things that can go wrong. I mean, I'm, I make lots of predictions about the future and. And um, the intent of making predictions, uh, the way I think about it, is not necessarily that I'm right on all these predictions. It's the, the intent is to force you to think about it and come to your own conclusion. Um, now, I mean, we could have some national law that comes down that just outlaws driverless cars. Um, we could have some major scandal that creeps in somehow. And but uh, but right now. It looks like all the forces of nature are coalescing, and it's being pushed in that direction. Um, every, I mean, every car company in the world has a driverless division. I mean, right. every trucking company has a driverless division. All of these, they, they're looking at it and they smell an opportunity. Um, well, it, it but, looks like a low-hanging fruit to these people because it turns out we humans are are not that great at it. You know, um, right. We, we can we uh, we can be bested by machines on this in short order because we get tired, we get drunk, we get uh, emotional, uh, we uh, just lose interest in the road, and uh, and then and and we cause accidents. Whereas a machine just won't do that, and it can look in every direction at the same time, and even yeah. be talking to the other uh, vehicles around it. So it's 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 going to be an, a relatively quick. You know, it'll, it's gone from the. Uh, the fiasco of the uh, uh, of the grand challenge a few years ago to uh, a foregone conclusion so quickly happened. Right. Yeah, so. that's that's what's so amazing because it was just 2005 where we had you know the Stanford team that won the the grand challenge uh, going 132 miles in the desert with no human intervention, 
and uh, Elon Musk says that before the end of this year, he'll have a car that travels from L.A. to New York City with no human intervention. Wow. Quite a big difference. Yeah, out on the roads, right? I mean, with all, with all the traffic and everything, it's just, it's 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 an amazing it's an amazing progression. And we've kind of tracked the time on that one because some of our first blogging and some of our first podcasting that was one of the topics that that we discussed. So we've we've watched that one unfold. And we, we were talking about this on Monday. If anything, it seems to me that the the progress in some of these areas over the last few years. Um, if, if anything, it should it inspire us to expect things to happen faster. Uh, that uh, that there, there's you know you hear something outrageous and you think well that'll be years and years from now and that's exactly what we thought about self-driving cars um, and now it turns yeah. out it's not that many years from now right <laughs> it turns out it's coming it's coming very soon so one, one, one of the epiphanies it seems we have to have is just to expect weird things to happen faster right. Yeah, this, uh, this creates I, this a whole new, a whole new platform for new business opportunities. Um, yeah. yeah, we're going to have a lot of things that go wrong along the way. We'll have, you know, this eight-year-old kid that ends up in Texas because he didn't know how to get out of his driverless car. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll have, we'll have college kids that want to play pranks on him by taking barrels full of ping-pong balls and dropping them off in an overpass to just to see what the driverless cars will do with them. Right. Um, right. But. But the new business opportunities, I mean, the ones that I like are, I mean, the idea of somebody inventing a new speed dating service where two, two random people get into a car and they drive around for five minutes and get out again, and that's their speed dating. Uh, uh, <laughs> will that work? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting, though. I love it. <laughs> well, you know, um, Elon Musk, uh, I think, announced uh, just a few months ago that, uh, you know, uh, I think this year the the, the uh, Teslas that are being put out are not driverless or not all you know, all, uh, but it, it'll it'll be a simple software patch to make them so. Um, uh, they're they're, right. they're coming. Uh, they're 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 being sold ready to ready to go. You know, uh, just as soon as uh, as soon as they get the systems perfected. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a there's several steps in between and. Um, Volvo has announced that by 2020 they're going to be making death-proof cars. You know, as we baby step our way into this, we start adding more and more uh, uh, collision avoidance features. And whether or not they actually make it to a, uh, a death-proof car by 2020, I, I certainly applaud their efforts. And um, and, and and see, that's that's one of the other big, huge numbers that we should consider is that uh, 2015 in the U.S. we had 38,000 deaths and 4.4 million injuries. Now, if you do the math on just repairing people that were injured in a car accident, 4.4 million injuries, um, that works out to right around half a trillion dollars that gets sucked out of uh, uh, the medical world. Wow. Um, now the the healthcare world is is a big industry, but you suck a half a trillion out of anything. That's that's a big number. Yeah. Yeah. Plus all the all the downtime of those people not being able to work, not being able to contribute to you know their families or what. Just the the the, the human cost and the economic cost is just uh, yeah. out of this world. Yeah, yeah, and there's I mean there's lots of intangible things that we never think about too. Like um, once. 
I mean, all the traffic starts flowing smoothly. We just don't have to worry about traffic jams. Traffic jams are the the main reason that people think we're, the planet is overpopulated. That's mm. the main frustration that people have. If everything starts flowing smoothly, then we, we, we stop worrying about overpopulation, uh, uh, overcrowding, um, which I think is kind of an interesting side effect. But um, Yeah, the highways definitely are overpopulated. You can, you can definitely see it. Uh, Sometimes, yeah. even yeah. in even even in Denver, you know the uh, chapter that Stephen wrote in our uh, our, our book, the uh, Visions for a World Transform, talks about the fact that um, we can expect self-driving cars to kill so many people, you know, per year. And it, going off that stat you just gave, thirty-eight thousand a year, the argument goes like this. Well, I'll let you make it, Stephen. Go ahead. It's your it's your um, chapter, after all. Well, uh, let's well, let's imagine we have a less than perfect uh, uh, automatic car, right? That uh, that kills uh, manage, in the United States uh, kills ten thousand people a year. Um, okay. W- w- you know, let's let's imagine that's the the first generation of these things. W- should we do it? You bet we should do it. If uh, if everybody you know if everybody had a, a a car like that at once and we could make that jump to those those cars immediately and they still and they killed 10,000 people in the first year we we'd uh, we'd save about 20,000 people would we right um, and so you know that's uh, even even a less than perfect uh, uh, auto drive car is uh, would it just do the math uh, and uh, we you know we can uh, we shouldn't. Uh, we shouldn't make the uh, uh, the perfect of uh, the uh, the enemy of uh, much better, which is is the way it'll go. I'm sure, but uh, I, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm hopeful. Of, you know, my, the day job for me, uh, Thomas is is I'm an attorney, and so I'm I'm hopeful that uh, litigation doesn't um, doesn't shut down these things. But uh, I, I have a feeling that it won't because the uh, the utility will will. Uh, Will will outweigh the you know the uh, the potential problems of even a less than perfect system. So um, we'll, uh, right, we'll right. Um, but there's uh, a couple of things that have to happen. Is we need to develop a trust factor um, that we're willing to get in these cars and 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 uh, kind of seed control. <clears throat> um, if we we look at the airline industry as a model, um, I mean. The number of people killed in the airline world is uh, a fraction of what you killed in the automobile world, and uh, that's that's a good model I think that we should look at. Uh, how how can we get the driverless car industry to get to uh, that level of uh, safety, and then <clears throat> and then we can improve from there. I mean, uh, what what does the Six Sigma safety look like in the driverless world? Um, it's uh, it's considerably different than what we expect today. You know, when you when you think about how cars are designed, we have all these safety features built into them. We're we're planning for accidents the whole time. I mean, right. we have safety safety glass in the windows. We have um, we have head headrests. We have um, uh, airbags. We have seat belts and all that. But you know, when when you get into an elevator, I mean, you don't plan. You know, I mean, you don't make people get a seatbelt on in an elevator when you go up 24. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, you, you just There's no special car seat for a kid in an elevator, right? Nothing like right, that. Exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah. 
Um, so when you we make these these different comparisons, I mean, an automated traffic system eventually should get to that point. I mean, that should be the goal. Uh, I think it's doable. It's going to take a few years, but uh, it's definitely doable. All right. Well, that's going to do it for part one of our interview with Thomas Frey. We will pick this up on Friday, and you can hear the conclusion of our discussion with Thomas Frey on Friday's show. Also, tune in tomorrow for uh, Best of the World Transformed. And until next time, live to see it. <laughs>